Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? I am so wonderful this evening. How about you? I am also doing wonderful this evening. have a lovely, funny day here today, and just enjoying the outdoors and 
spending some extra time with poison ivy today, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How absolutely perfect since yes. you're going to be telling us about poison ivy later on in the show. Yes, the evening you have all been waiting for has has come. Sarah Ellen, Mm -hmm. a student of life who cherishes the opportunity to live with awareness and experience the wholeness of being alive, is going to be talking with us about her relationship with poison ivy. And what a good time to talk about poison ivy because it is suddenly springing out all over. You know, one of the things that was done, oh gosh, decades ago, when we realized that, um, you know, raising the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was that uh, botanists started looking at what would increased levels of carbon dioxide mean for plants. And interestingly enough, for some plants, it means that they grow faster and better. And poison ivy is one of those plants. Poison ivy's response to raise levels of carbon dioxide is to grow more profusely and bigger. I've certainly noticed that in the past decade. Hmm. Yes. She's got quite a way of making statements and, um, you know, having to say about things and Calling Having her say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, is definitely not shy about giving her opinion. <laughs> uh, I was just commenting that I get to eat dinner in the sweetest smelling bower. On my left side is my Meyer lemon tree in a pot, which is in full mm. bloom, and the air is just, oh, swooning with the scent of lemon blossom. And on my right side is a rose, a wonderfully scented rose in full bloom. So whichever way I turn, it smells good. And then when the breeze blows, it blows the scent of the lilacs. Mm. Wow. Yes, Marvelous. the shisandra is blooming, and the smell of the shisandra makes me just want to lie down under the shisandra vine and never get up. It is so amazing. Mm. And there are mm. like these cute little striped fairy bells dangling down, and you just do you want to crawl in under the vine and look up into the throats of these little bells. Oh, wow. What a visual. Thank you. I've not had the opportunity to smell one, so I am appreciating your description. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the first flush of the, the daffodils and the tulips and, and the cherry trees is gone, but the flowering plants are carrying on. And, of course, we went out to the garden supply store and bought even more flowering plants, especially, I will admit, to a real love of buying red flowering plants for the hummingbirds to come to. And one of my favorites is the flowering salvias, right? The sage genus, the salvias. Of course, gives us salvia officinalis, regular garden sage, which has such a strong scent. But the sages, the salvias, have been bred to have really big flowers and be pretty scentless. 
and they come in great colors, including red for the hummingbirds, but also kind of really like luscious, kind of blue purpley color. Oh, fun. Which, of course, is, is very typical among the mint fla- family flowers, right? Mm hmm. Right. So, looking forward to getting those into their hanging pots and wel- welcoming. The ruby-throated hummingbird, which is the only one that usually ventures this far north. Ah. Uh, do you have Do you have more it. kinds of hummingbirds there? You know, I have seen two different types. Uh, last year, I saw one type, and the year before, another. I'm not certain which types each of them were. Uh, last year, the colors were beautiful, but they weren't as varied as the. Mm. bird that I saw the first year. Uh, so mm. I have some hummingbirds. Well, the ruby throated is really obvious. It has, yep, a ruby throat. Mm-hmm. Is the body black and silver from no. behind? No, it's okay. iridescent that, green. Okay, that's who visited us the first year. Last year, um, I saw the bird mainly from the back, and the back was a black and silver. Ooh, so, interesting. Came around a lot, right in our mm-hmm. front picture window. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes, so special visitors. <laughs> <laughs> so I have had this Meyer lemon tree for a while, and have not really been really successful at getting it to flower. Last year, by feeding it a lot of nettle rot, I did get it to flower. But this winter, the reason it's in full flower right now, because of course it was in the house all winter, was because I started giving it diluted whey. You know, I make cheese. And my new herd of goats, uh, yeah, okay, they've been here five or six years, but they're still new to us, uh, doesn't drink the whey. Our old herd of goats would drink the whey, which is so good for them. Uh, We, of course, cook with it, but we're making, you know, we're using five gallons of milk two or three times a week to make cheese, and most of that comes off as whey. So I'm handling, you know, 10 to 14 gallons of whey a week. So (laughs) the goats won't do it. I was just putting it in the compost pile, but I was afraid it was going to waterlog the compost pile, so I've just been... um, either diluting it or, you know, kind of uh, pouring it in an arc, not in a stream, just kind of splashing it about on the gardens. And everywhere I've been doing that, I'm getting lots and lots of flowers and very happy plants. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I saw them in New Zealand. I saw a truck parked beside the road that was spraying a field, and I stopped and I said, what are you spraying that field with? And he said, way. Because if you just put it in the septic system, it becomes a water contaminant. Because mm. it changes the pH of the water. Wow. Wow. And the plants, meanwhile, are happy to have it. The soil, the nourishment it must provide. Wow. Yeah. Right place, right time. Oh, life is good. Indeed. Indeed. Now, Last week, we left with quite a few people whose questions were unanswered. That doesn't mean they'll come back this week. But how many people have their hand raised at this point? 
So at this point, we have two callers that have raised their hand. Um, I'll remind everyone listening that if you have a question for Susan tonight, please press one to let us know. We'll see your hand raised and you will be put in line to ask your question. Are you ready for our first caller now? No. I just wanted to know how many there were. If there were a lot, I would have been ready. But since there's only two, we can chat for a little while longer. Usually we do. And uh, one of the things I want to talk about, I took a walk with a white feather today, and she said, how's the green goddess week shaping up? I said, well, there's a few women who have uh, decided they want to do it, but we need more. And the CDC um, is sticking by its guns that, 10% 10% of uh, cases have occurred through outdoor contact, but a recent scientific um, look at that statistics uh, calls that into big doubt. It turns out that between 95 to 99% of the so-called cases of COVID that occurred outdoors actually probably occurred indoors. How could that be? Because the construction industry lists all of its COVID cases as having occurred outdoors, even though workers routinely shelter indoors and work indoors. And when they tracked these down, they found, in fact, that it was an indoor passage. So they're saying that the actual uh, possibility um, of getting COVID outdoors without a mask is point. 1%, 1%, in other words, one-tenth of 1%, very, very low. So my father and I were walking today. Everybody we passed, we said, you can take off your mask. You can take off your mask. You're outdoors. Take off your mask. And most people did. The runners were especially grinning and happy. Oh, thank goodness to run again without our masks. Oh. Please do wear them when you're around people. When you're indoors, we're just talking about real outdoors, really outside. And still, even then, as we've been doing at the Wise Women's Center, staying six feet apart. It's a reasonable thing to do. So last year, we did a Green Goddess Week six feet apart, and we were outdoors all the time. And it worked out splendidly. Nobody got COVID. Nobody passed it along. Nobody was in any way in a problem. And we are looking forward to a great Green Goddess Week. This year, too, with White Feather again teaching the Seven Directions Movement Meditation and Wolf Clan Chants and Dances, and with Yvette Lewis um, helping the Green Goddesses to craft their personal power shields, which they actually paint while they're here and take home with them. We do an awakening ceremony with them. I'll be initiating Green Witches at the Green Goddess Apprentice Week, and I'll also be initiating Green Witches at the Green Witch Holiday. Green Witch Holidays in July, and the Green Goddess Week is in August, both toward the beginning of the month, and they're two kind of our biggish events, and they're outdoor events. So come and play with us and play with the plants. And that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> So much of time. I saw pictures in the easing last week of Green Goddess Week from last year. It looked like you had a wonderful collection of so, several women, more than just a handful. And just what magic you all must have made together. So I'm sure you'll have a wonderful group of women gather this year, too. Mm, thank you. Yeah. 
Anything else you want to share or add? I know you get your your time at the end, but that's pretty much devoted to poison ivy. Is there anything else you're doing or want to talk about? Oh, um, well, like you just made some trips to purchase some plants and have been finding <laughs> out, out to the greenhouses to buy plants. Yay! <laughs> yes, doing definitely a bit of that, discovering new plants in the yard. Uh, found new plants, yes. Yes, some that I've never seen before. The timeliness of the easing last week with the Shepherd's Purse article. I've been wondering who that was that kept popping oh up my gosh. in the middle of. Mm-hmm. Mm. So she is delightful and um, sat together, asked permission, and have created a, a few tinctures with her. So thank you for All sharing right. that for me. Last week, yeah. yeah. Yay, shepherd's purse. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I just, you know, I could share all night about the treasures that we're finding here. And, um, yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. It's, it's, it's been a lovely um, welcoming in our first year to see everyone find, find out who your, who your neighbors are. Yes, and that too. So that's been fun too. The green neighbors and the human neighbors and the animal neighbors. All of you. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, one of the helpers at the wound care center where I'm going uh, was talking about um, how distressed he was that a mink had gotten into his previous chicken coop. And I said, yeah, and the, the real pity about mink in your chicken coop is they kill all your chickens and don't even take a bite. He said, that's right. They just kind of do it for the sport of it, he says. But now his chickens are in a fort, Knox of mink-proof, raccoon-proof, anything-proof. He actually poured a concrete foundation for the chicken coop so that nothing could claw its way through it. Wow. Wow. I, oh no. my goodness! This is this for a mere a flock of a mere dozen, but he's very serious about keeping his chickens away from predators. Absolutely, and you mentioned the mink is just so brutal. I walked in on it last year with a friend's chickens, and they don't. They just it's like killing for sport, and it just is absolutely horrifically brutal. And I learned a lot from the mink. And trying to figure out what was going on, how it was getting in, and all that stuff. So, of course, animals can be great teachers and share wisdom. So, there's a lot to be gleaned from the encounter. But wow, brutal and yeah, murderous. Yeah, it's, it's really stunning because it really, you know, um, kind of gives Walt Disney the finger in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm your local <laughs> mink. I've arrived to basically just massacre all your chickens and leave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm so happy that minks live with us. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, life is not easy. Let's let's uh, have that first caller. And again, a reminder: if you have a question, push one, so we know you want to ask it. All right. Yes. And our first caller who has pressed one with a question is calling from the 831 area code. From the 831, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much. 
Oh. <laughs> um, I'm my, I'm Eliani. I was actually there at the Green Goddess Week last year, say, and it was Eliani so... who was at the Green Goddess Week. <laughs> yes, it was so amazing. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I'm still friends with all of the ladies that we were there with, and it's just a life-changing experience. <laughs> yes, as it was saying that your Facebook group is still trundling on, and she's so happy to see that you are all stayed connected. <laughs> yes, 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 it was a beautiful experience. Um, so, Susan, I have been um, experiencing um, some I guess like tightness in my left side, right underneath my rib or yes, it's kind of, it started in the front and now I can sort of feel it in the back feels tender also. And um, I went to my doctor and I had um, a urine test and a blood test and she wasn't sure from those tests what is going on and I did get poked and prodded by the doctor and she said oh there's inflammation um in that area but wasn't sure what was going on either and so I've been asking dandelion um for help and um it's been I've I've only been um working with dandelion now for about a week and I've been taking the tincture every time before I eat food and I've been drinking some some of the tea and I've been putting her in my salads more and I'm just not sure what's going on um I've been it's I've been belching more often than normal and so so yeah, <laughs> I um, I really appreciate your support and and um, and guidance. <laughs> I hear you. Um, your liver, mm-hmm. your liver is on the right side. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think you typified this pain as being on the left. Yes. Okay. And your appendix is also on the right, and this pain is on the left. So, um, mm. on the other hand, neither the liver nor the kidneys have nerve endings. And mm. it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. that things can go wrong with the kidneys and or the liver, and we don't know about it because basically we just don't feel. There's no mechanism by which we can feel. The Kidneys are actually pretty high up in the body near the spine, uh, protected, mm-hmm. actually protected by the ribs. Most people think of their mm. kidneys as being kind of low down, down by their pelvis. Mm-hmm. But they're not. So where, when there is pain from the kidneys, then usually... The pain comes from the tubes that connect the kidneys to the bladder mm-hmm. because those are pressure sensitive and they have nerve endings. And that can be a pain that kind of runs along your back 
from just under your ribs down toward the toward your bladder, toward the mid part of your body. Mm-hmm. And dandelion is considered a good diuretic. It's, of course, primarily considered to be a plant that's great for the liver, but it can also mm-hmm. be fine for the kidneys. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything going on with your kidneys or that you need to help your kidneys. It could mm-hmm. actually be a muscle spasm in the little muscles between your ribs and mm-hmm. in your back. I was just talking to Lindsay, the new apprentice, and I was talking about Tai Chi class. And I was saying that in, actually in addition to doing Tai Chi, because it's hard to do Tai Chi for two full hours, we do Feldenkrais work. And, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. And so that the whole understanding that we use ourselves in pieces and then we pull things because we use ourselves in pieces and to return ourselves to functioning as a whole, so that when we reach, we unreach. Mm. And yoga, of course, is wonderful at that, because usually you'll fold forward and then bend back and bend to the left and bend to the right, or do some standing and do some sitting, do some lying poses, so that you're you're stretched in a variety of ways by that. It may not be muscle pain. It may actually be pain from something else that's happening. But Mm -hmm. at this point, it doesn't sound like that from your preliminary tests. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. there's two ways to go. We can say, oh, well, there must be something really wrong, and we're going to do more invasive tests. Or we can say, let's see right. if this is you know, a, a muscle problem and work with the muscles for a while and see if that changes it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Either one, <laughs> looking for what might be going on, but one of those lookings leaves you more energetic and more toned and the other looking for um, <laughs> images you. Right. Mhm. Yeah. And yeah. does it respond to topical application of CBD? I have some and I have been trying it and it doesn't seem to be responding to to that. Mm-hmm. Um what it what it did seem to respond to was I took um I took a a pill of acidophilus and I only I only took one um because at that time I was like I don't know what's going on and I just you know just tried it out and um and it, it I just felt myself I just felt everything calm down for a while like a few hours maybe 4 hours Oh that sounds great um, and it sounds like it that you might have really gotten a good placebo effect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with the placebo effect. I'm all for the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if it means buying a bottle of acidophilus yeah. pills because it works that way for you, I would say do it. Okay. You're okay. certainly not going to hurt yourself <laughs> by taking acidophilus. And right. if it's, mm-hmm. you know, if your body is going to receive it as the magic thing that makes the pain go away, how perfect. I love that. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how wise you are to have found that. Oh, thanks. Oh, Susan, I have another question. Um, it's a short one. And okay. it's that I've been, I've been like, um, smelling a weird odor coming from my left un- underarm and it's different than my right one and it's only on the left and I don't know what's going on. I, I actually, um, I don't use much soap. I don't really bathe uh-huh, often. Uh-huh. And when I, when I do, I just, um, I just like, maybe I'll soak in something really nice. And mm-hmm. so I don't use any kind of products or anything like that. Um, but the smell on my right side, it's just kind of, it turns me off. It's like something that I, that I've never smelled on myself before. It's almost like this vinegary smell. I hear you. Interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, do you sleep on that side? Uh, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. It might have, it might be some kind of reaction to your sheets. To my, to my what? Sheets. Oh, to my sheets. Either okay. to the sheets themselves or the detergent that you're using. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, well, that's but I do not think that it's any manageable. indicator of a life-threatening illness. <laughs> Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, groovy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for calling and thank you for helping us to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Mm, thank A you big so much, hug Susan. And Happy blessing. Mother's Day. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. And at this time, we have three callers who have pressed one and raised their hand. Our next caller with a question is calling from the 905 area code. From the 905, you're live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. My name is Nancy, and I'm so happy to be speaking with you this evening. I'm uh, calling from Toronto, where I believe you came to give a workshop many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, and maybe you've been here more than once, but I signed up for that workshop and was so sorry to have missed it because I got very ill. So um, I've been following you. I'm glad you recovered. (laughs) I've got a few questions. Um, I live in Ontario, and we do not have... 100 proof vodka here. Um, they I are lying. Get... They're lying. Oh, you. okay. You do. They say, oh, no, you can't get that. They're lying. You can get it, A, you can get it in Nova Scotia. 
And yes, when I've I, told people in Ontario to just demand that, that they get it, uh, they, they, they can get it. Well, I've also been told that they have it in Quebec, but the, that border is closed, so I can't drive there right now. Um, so you think that wow. I can just... Wow, yeah. the border between Ontario and Quebec is closed. Yes, yes, yes. Wow, I don't and the, think I've ever heard yeah. of that in my entire life. I know, and the COVID cases have gone up a lot in Nova Scotia, so that border might even be closed, mm. too. What, what I can get <clears throat> is, is 76% something called spiritus, mm-hmm. and I can, I can also so, get 42%. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're making a tincture, yes, you are taking things out of the plant by osmosis, right? And that means that the solutions on either side of the cell membrane of the plant want to be as close to the same as they can be. Okay. Most plant cells are about 75% water. It's a general rule of thumb. Obviously, if it's a really wet year and it's a really wet part of the plant, it will be more. If it's a really dry year and it's a really dry part of the plant, it will be less. But 75% works. Okay. So if we have something that's 75% water. Yes. And your spirit is... 42% 42% alcohol. Right. And that would make it 58% water. Right. It's not going to extract as much. Right. As the 100 proof will. Right, yes. Because it will be equal sooner. Yes, 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 okay. The higher proof. I don't remember what you said it was. 90-something? It's 76%. 76%. So that 76%, we would then have 24% water. So that's a very, very big difference. And what happens then is, at least in my experience and the experience of others, is that the pull out of the plant of the poisons is so strong that it becomes much more drug-like. Right. Okay. Okay, so... And the plant material becomes brittle like it's been irradiated. Mm Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then some people say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, like, get the higher proof and then add water so that I get the 50-50 ratio, which is certainly one way to go. Um, I talked to some distillers, and they said that the real problem with the higher proofs is that there are compounds that are made in the distilling process itself as you go to those higher proofs that can be harmful. Remember back in Prohibition when people would go blind from drinking the wrong stuff? Gotcha, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So... It's one of the reasons that I prefer to use vodka, and specifically vodka, and not just any alcohol. Right. And 
50%, which is 100-proof vodka, because that's what's pretty easily available to most people. I really mm-hmm. understand the special circumstances of what's going on right now with you. Right. And it's funny because I was saying to Lindsay today, I was saying, I want you to make dandelion wine. And the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to know that if you ever can't get alcohol, the way you make the tincture is you make wine out of the plant. Oh, I see. Now, of course, it won't work with every single plant, but it can work with any flower or any fruit and even some leaves. And you have a recipe, I think, for dandelion wine. Right, and we've used, we've made red clover wine, and we've made Queen Anne's lace wine, and we've made ground ivy wine, and in Germany we made yellow flower wine. It was black. Oh, my goodness, that was so intense. We served it as an aperitif. It like was not, you couldn't, like, it was black. You couldn't put it in a wine glass. <laughs> so any edible flower, you know, we've made wine from to have a sense of how does that go, and it's so easy. So you're not saying to then take – no, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I was – so then I wouldn't take the that old, The wine. older herbals often give doses in wine glassfuls. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's why, and of course, another way to do that, and the way that's used in Europe, is to take a white wine and infuse the herb you want to tincture in the white wine. It's not going to make a very strong tincture. I see. But it makes something different that's quite interesting. May wine is woodruff that's been infused into the wine. Okay. And it's especially good for plants that have um, aromatic constituents. I was wanting to do some, uh, I was actually wanting to make some um, um, hawthorn tincture. So given that you can't get the alcohol that you want, what I would say is use those hawthorn berries to make infusion. Oh, oh, they're dry. That's 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 what we want, right? That's right. We want them dry. Okay. 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 Good idea. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. So I guess I just have to either make dandelion wine or wait for another year when I can get the the right kind of alcohol. Eh? You can do that. Also, you know, I'm I encourage people to experiment. So you know. Gather together the different kinds of alcohol that you can get. So a wine, right? Some, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to go out and buy a bunch of alcohol, but see if you can, like, get a little from this friend, a little from that friend, right? And put the same plant in all of those different kinds of alcohol and see what you right. think of the resulting bruise that you get. I see. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> really hard sense. to do it wrong. Yes. Okay. It's not drugs. Right. It's right. kind of like a recipe. Yes, yes, yes. I hear you. Could, you. you. You could say, ah, well, usually when we make it, we don't use so much potato. But well, it's just that you don't use so much potato. It's not wrong. Uh-huh. I gotcha. 
Right. I mean, you can double the recipe and double the salt, and that would be wrong because that's going to be too much salt. But you can right. even deal with that. <laughs> true, true. Um, I, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Um, I'm 68 years old, and <clears throat> for quite a few years now, my hair, which is basically white, has been not falling out in clumps, but just falling out one at a time. I see a lot of silver hairs all over my yoga mat and various things. And I remember hearing you say once that for people who have been on a, a vegan diet for a number of years and therefore have been getting inadequate protein, that could be the cause. Um, I'm not on a vegan diet, and I eat some meat. Um, but here's my my dilemma is, you know, I've been for many years sort of confused because I, I, I understand people like Dean Ornish and Joel Kahn, and, who's a cardiologist, and Christy Funk, who's a breast surgeon. Like, they're so committed to the vegan diet for, well, for many things, but in my case, I'm a breast cancer survivor and thriver, and I'm just so confused because I want to have the animal protein for my muscles and for my other, uh, my whole body, but I hear so many experts talking about, you know, the benefits according to research that they quote and in some cases have actually done themselves, like Dean Ornish, of the vegan diet. And I I know that you don't abide by it at all. I I just don't know what to do about this. Have you noticed that all of these people that you have mentioned are men? Except for Christy Funk, who is female. And one of the things that I find is that, especially when it comes to diet, male bodies and female bodies are very different. Okay, okay, uh-huh. And I have said in the presence of a great many men that men respond very well to torture. And no one has <laughs> ever said you're wrong, Susan. <laughs> in fact, they usually laugh and say, that's right. Women make a lot more hormones, and so we actually need more fat in our diet. It's certainly true that very low-fat diets, extremely low-fat diets, do increase longevity in breast cancer survivors. Okay, uh uh-huh. But what does that mean when we say increase longevity? Are we talking another 20 years or are we talking another two weeks? Right, exactly. So that's what I ask women to do when they're, you know, telling you about this research. What are, what are the real end results and what, how does that play off against your perceived quality of life? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Gotcha. It's not necessarily the goal to live as long as possible. Yes. Absolutely right. I, I, I totally agree with that. So it's going to improve your quality of life to have butter, and they're saying, oh, no, you know, have only, you know, canola oil. Um, Yes. You have to decide um, what the difference is there. And to my mind, the difference is negligible. What's important is that you don't eat much fat. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the reasons why they find it easiest to say don't eat meat because meat often contains fat. Now, Sally Fallon and I for decades have said, you have to look at the difference between grass-fed and not grass-fed. Yes, 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 yes. I totally agree. And the first studies are starting to come out looking at the difference, and guess what? 
Yeah, grass-fed does way better. For you, you do way better on the grass-fed. And that's, <laughs> right. and that's expensive. Good. So now you're going to eat meat as a condiment. Uh-huh. Everything uh-huh. works. You're going to buy yeah, the that's... most expensive meat out there, and therefore you're not going to eat too much of it. I hear that, yeah. <clears throat> and that's going to support family farms, and everybody is happy. I t- and maybe even regenerate the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just ask you what you think of coconut oil as an oil to add to, to cook with? Um, first of all, it's very highly saturated. Yes. If I'm going to use a saturated fat, I sure would rather have it taste of butter than coconut oil. Oh. Um, and I was really never particularly here or there about coconut oil. I mean, you know, if I didn't mind my food tasting a coconut, I didn't mind coconut oil. A lot of right. the coconut oil now doesn't taste as much like coconut as the early coconut oils did. Right. Um, but I had occasion to live for a week uh, with some people who ate only coconut oil. It's the only fat in the house. Right. And by the end of that week, I found myself using more and more and more coconut oil and still feeling like I could go out and eat an entire stick of butter one <laughs> pat at a time. I was so starved for fat. It was like my body was not registering the coconut oil as actual fat. It was amazing to me. Interesting. Wow. Wow. I don't know if that's just my idiosyncratic response. Um, it's, it looks to me like one of those kind of things that I consider kind of um, items on the, on the health food wheel of fortune. Okay. And the wheel of fortune spins and up comes, let's talk about pressure cookers. And then the wheel spins and says, let's talk about juicing. And then the wheel spins and it says, now we're going to talk about vegan, right? And just it, and the 50 years I've been involved, the wheel just keeps spinning and the same things just keep coming up, which tells me they don't have any longevity. Right, right. Yeah. That you have to keep reaching out to a, a, a new group. Macrobiotics, which started, you know, in the 60s in the yes. United States, is still going strong, isn't it? I don't know. Is it? Very strongly. Okay. Without fanfare, which is why you don't know about it. Oh, I hear you. Okay, okay, okay. Right. Right. And yes, which would make sense because I know it's, mo- it's all cooked vegetables, isn't it, pretty much? Exactly. And brown rice, cooked brown rice. Right, right, right. Right. With a little bit of fish here and there, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And while it's not so, preventative, and it doesn't work for everybody, there certainly are more than would be accounted for by chance people who followed a macrobiotic diet to help them deal with a cancer diagnosis. Success. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. A famous book about that. <clears throat> well, thank you. I, I know you have people waiting, so uh, I'll say goodbye. And um, I've got other questions. I'll call again. And uh, thank you so much for so many years of 
of so such great knowledge and wisdom. Thanks so much. Green blessings. Good night. You too, Susan. Bye-bye. All right. Caller uh, has, is calling from the 973 area code. From the 973, oh, excuse me. There we go. From the 973, you're live on the air with Susan. Hi. Thanks so much for taking my call. Hi. Um, Susan, I so appreciated your wisdom. It was, well, for all of the decades. But last week on Blog Talk, one of the last questions before the guest um, was inquiring about adrenal fatigue. And you said, unless there had been sick children in the hospital and caregiving elderly parents and driving an hour in traffic, and <laughs> I was like, okay, so I need to call in <laughs> um, uh, to ask you to go further. And I will preface it by saying I've done many workshops with you and um, am an active uh, participant in not only um, drinking nourishing herbal infusions, measuring them out with a scale, but I also make my own tinctures with 100-proof vodka, cook my greens very well and have herbal vinegars, and I'm very much woven into um, the wisdom traditions for protective factors. But in addition to COVID, I've had intensely taxing, extraordinary um, stressors of a very long hospitalization of my youngest child, um, as well as caregiving my elderly father and, and everything in between. And I think it was exactly um, the situation I was describing. Yes. And, yes. and I'm very strong at self care and ritual and rhythm. I'm out tonight for the new moon, but even with all of the nourishment of nettle and motherwort tincture that I packed, mm. I am, feeling more taxed yes. um, than ever. And so I'm just yes. open to listen because I'm doing all of the strategies okay. and the ritual and ceremony. So open for deeper. Earth. Yeah. Yes. Bring as much of your skin into contact with the earth as often as you can. If you can, and it doesn't have to be bare earth, it can be moss-covered earth, it can be rock. I mean, if it's just bare feet, that counts. If you actually find a place where you can really put all of your skin down on the earth, the earth is capable of taking everything from you and turning it into healing. You, your lint trap is full. Yeah? Yes. You have collected a lot of pain. Yes. And give it to the earth. It's very heavy to carry. You yes. took that pain on for your child. You took that pain on for your parents. You took that pain on because you're strong enough to do that. Yes. And now you need to give that pain to the earth. All of it. 
Yes. I'm in a local park touching an elm tree as I'm hearing it. Yeah. Yeah. Trees are good. Earth is better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the the actual physical contact of the bare skin with with the earth or with plants. Often garden. Um, I, I, I don't say grass because I can't, you know, control. I gotta keep yeah. the grass, but something a little more earthy, right? <laughs> Mossy, rocky, that kind of thing. If, yeah, I mean, that's one of my. If that's not enough, then the next time it rains, sit out in the rain. Yeah, I'm I'm very comfortable doing. I'm actually comfortable walking in the rain. I think um I'm not sure I've been still in the rain, so I will receive that. Yes. Yeah. People were fussing around me, you know, after I came out of the hospital. And what I said was, "Do you take my futon outside and we're going to put me on that futon, right, so that I can touch the earth and be in the sun and see the blue sky?" That's the medicine. Because that's the medicine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small acts of self-care, digging dandelion roots and making vinegar, and I'm an active gardener of yarrow and tulsi and motherwort. So I, you know, this is the season that I do literally get my hands um, with the soil, but it's, it's, it has been extraordinary demands with work. I've been very grateful, even amidst COVID. My my job actually increased in hours um, when so many people have been without theirs. Um, that's just because of the the nature of of the type of work it is. So it it's been a unique coordination, and the wise woman tradition has carried me. But um, uh, I'm you know right. recognizing. I, I do um, want yeah. to urge you, however, to not give yourself the out of saying, well, I had my hands in the dirt, but actually set a specific time when you're letting the earth heal you, when you're not doing anything. Yeah. I was at your... I was at your land when Alyssa Starkweather did a oh. workshop at the Wise Woman Center years ago, and we she used that land literally land here so brilliantly. Pressed. We yeah. pressed into the stones. We pressed right. You know, it's such a sensorial. It's a it's such a a sensory memory of the rocks holding um, and taking. Um, what needed to be released, and so much important rage um, and the recognition. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, yes, it doesn't have to take all day. It doesn't even have to take an hour, but it has to be really focused on being what it is. Yeah. 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 I can do that. I can I do can that. Do. I know you can. Thank you, Susan. Green blessings. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. We have four callers that have pressed one to let us know they have a question. 
Our next caller is calling in from the 252 area code. In the 252, you're live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Um, I'm hoping you can shed some light on or may have somewhere in your wound healing come across maggot debridement. That's an unusual thing to talk about, but I had an animal that was wounded. And yes. she had an open wound that wasn't closing for many months. And in the last week, I had the unfortunate experience of finding maggots in this wound. And it took me a good 24 hours to remove all of them because it seemed like as soon as I got them, there were more that would appear. Um, and I noticed thereafter the wound almost miraculously the wound closed in an area where for months it was not closing. And then I did a little research and was surprised to find that this actually is a medical practice. And yes, I, yes, it is. I, I was just astounded by this. And have you had any, do you know anything about this and, and how is it used in Western medicine? It's rarely used at this point because the wound has to smell bad enough for flies to want to lay their eggs in it. And so what you were seeing was the eggs hatching. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I was, apparently, they can be prescribed. And, yeah. and, 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 and it is actually something that is, is done to, to clear, I guess, diabetic wounds, I think, was how it was most commonly used. Um, this cat happens to As have I said, the, the wound has to be bad enough to smell. Yeah, because for the, it's for the, the smell that it, attracts the flies. Yeah, it attracts the le- delay of okay. Well, and she wasn't cleaning. This is on the, on her bum end, and she wasn't cleaning as well as she she. I think she got tired of it. I mean, she would actually lick it and kind of debride it herself, and it was better and better and better. And we're down to the last maybe you know, eight maybe inch and a half of of wound that didn't heal and. It, it, it has really been an interesting experience with her, um, and I've been, you know, veterinary medicine has has been surprised that this whole thing hasn't been much worse for her with infection. And you know, I don't say, well, I give her usnea in her kitty food, and you know, I don't say things like that because I think they'll think I'm crazy. Like you know, they're like, you're not giving her antibiotics. No, she's not on antibiotics, and um, right. and, and it really is something we've been able to handle here. Um, but I thought, oh, I don't think I can tell the vet about the, the, <laughs> about the, the maggot experience. But when I looked into it, it, it's real. And, and it's something that apparently they were suggesting that the maggot actually, because the vet was ready when he was going to spay her. He said, oh, I'll debride her again. I'll do it surgically while she's under. And apparently the maggot is actually better at getting under all of the little all of the little areas to, to actually free the cell growth up again than, than a scalpel. And it seemed to be incredibly non-invasive. And I thought, well, look at that. <laughs> and it was not a pleasant it, experience. It is invasive. The flies laid eggs in the wound and those are hatching and wiggling out well, and eating away at things. It is, you know, yeah, there was one an invasion. And this, you took them out. Oh, God, yeah. Right, you didn't want them to mature no, in there. No, I, my understanding is, is if they go in and they in, under the, if they stay, they, they, they'll die and they can create bacterial infections. And exactly. what, what happened was um, 
it was pretty right. classic so you when were, I looked at you it. Know, and I believe that when they're used medically, they are removed as well. They are, yes, yes. There was somebody who was in, interviewed on an NPR interview. It was like a, a last year or two, there was a podcast that somebody was talking about it, and she said that it was a, a wound that was not healing, and she was worried about bone um, infection, and it just they tried everything they could, and she remembered she was a, some sort of a medical technician, so she remembered hearing about this as an option and found someone that did it, and she said it was amazing. She said you had to get used to the idea of having squirmy wormies on you, but she said that um, her biggest concern by the end was that she was killing them and not bringing them into their better life <laughs> because they were so successful. So it, it can be on, and I thought... Well, I am so and glad to hear that the horse's wound is, wound is mending and that, yes, yes. Uh, you know, that once again... Um, nature has come forward and said, this is how you do it. It was. It was really one of those moments where I, I was ready to have her go under again and thought I really didn't feel right about this. And she's very weak because she was attacked. She was injured. And she's just, you know, I was worried about even putting her under to spay her. And so um, this really happened just in time for her. <laughs> it was interesting. Wow. But, how perfect. Yeah. yeah. One other thing, just let me go here for a minute because I had a in in the last 24 hours I've had a I I have actively walked away from my primary care environment I I think it is so negative and impersonal and you know the more digitalized it gets the more mistakes I find I have a mammogram and they list me as somebody who's um, you know coming back for a recheck after cancer and it's I, I don't have breast cancer I don't have I've, I have no history I'm on no medications and every encounter I have with this kind of medicine is it's, it's really fear-based and and demoralizing I just I can't feel comfortable there anymore and 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 it was I may find a primary care person that I can relate to again, but I don't think they can practice the kind of medicine that primary care people from my 20s used to practice. And so I don't know. It's very complicated because you, you worry about being disconnected from a system that you might need if you get sick or you need a surgery. But I just couldn't bring myself to go for an annual physical. And I know that it's going to be about getting colonoscopies and it's about a bone density that now I'm being told, you know, through uh, uh, seven years worth of bone loss that I now have some, I have osteoporosis in my neck and my neck is fine and I lift things that are heavy and I feel great and I take care of myself and I eat greens and I'm never going to take any of the medications she would prescribe and I just can't figure out why I would go. Does that make sense? That makes absolute and total sense. Do you know which organizations recommend a yearly physical? Probably None. the ones that pay insurance. None. <laughs> you know. yeah. None. And I have a very good insurance. The AMA does not recommend a yearly physical. There's no organization that recommends a yearly physical. You said they're fear-based, but what was your reason? Your reason was totally fear-based for going. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep, so, and that's it. it, it everything so is a fear you are going out of fear, and you are finding fear. Exactly. And and who needs that right now? And, it, and right. I, if I were and if unwell, that would be different. You're but willing to give up the fear, then yeah. of course that will be there for you should you need it. You don't have to hit yourself on the head with a hammer every day to be sure you know where the hammer is. Well, and, and it seems to really be designed to promote 
testing and pharmaceuticals and nothing else unless, of course, you need some heroic intervention. And I, and, and I have a very good Blue Cross Blue Shield coverage, so they, don't, they try everything. They want to do everything. They want, I mean, everything from chest x-rays to blood panels and, and bone densities and mammograms and colonoscopies, they, and they see my insurance and they want to do it you all. Agreed. Oh, no, I don't do any of it, but that's what they want. That's oh, what they okay, all right. You know okay. what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. And, and right. if you say no, you have Susan, a degree you got kicked these. out of the practice. I've agreed to no, exactly. no. Right. I, it had been five years since a mammogram and five years and seven years since a bone density. So last year I said, okay, we'll go do a baseline there again. But then they want a colonoscopy, and I'm like, yeah, I think that's very invasive. I, I don't want to do it's that. It's very invasive, and, they, and they finally admitted that, that most of the time it causes internal bleeding. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my doctor actually told me that she said, if you don't want them to do biopsies, you need to say something because that's how they make their money. This is what my doctor told me. That's right. So I, I feel like it's okay to walk away from this right now in my life. And I'm in my mid-50s and I'm healthy and I, I just... When people just say to me, right you to don't me. have mammograms, I say, what an interesting way to put it. Yeah. So should I say to you, you don't take care of yourself? Well, and that's how they make you feel. Because that's, you know, let's not focus on the don't. Let's focus on the what you do. Right. You're and not no focus walking that. away from your primary care. You are taking your primary care into your own capable hands. Yes. I'm walking away from my provider and taking it back, I think, yeah. yeah. You're not even walking away. You're just not going back. Yeah. And I think upon entry through an urgent care, you can probably get whatever crisis service you might need these days correct so you might okay. if you're you, gonna you know enter that way then check out the hospitals in your area urgent cares are even more like what you're describing it's much better if you really think you have to enter the system to go through an actual emergency room at a hospital okay and, and then work with the hospitalists out, that are there find out what are the best hospitals in your area and you know get to know them oh. if you think that's that you might have to do that. It makes a lot more sense and takes less time than having a physical every year. Yeah. And I mean, is it appropriate to seek out medical treatment if you think you have a reason to rather than just going to be tested? I mean, is that a reasonable The whole idea of being tested is very recent and very new. Okay. And I take my cues from the United States Preventative Services Task Force, which okay. gives recommendations on tests. And at this Thank point, you. That's good to have a do not recommend very many tests at all. They say far too Americans are being tested for the wrong things, and far too few are being tested for the things they need to be tested for. So, for instance, they are calling for far more blood pressure testing because the studies keep rolling in and active management of blood pressure is one of the most cost-effective healthcare things that can be done. And, of course, blood pressure testing is very non-invasive. 
Yeah. So if you think that that's a test, then what I, su- what I suggest to people is get a cuff at a drugstore. Yeah. And they say, well, they're not accurate. I'm like... But you can monitor up or down. true. Right. That it, it, you know, this one and that one may not give you the same reading, but what, what you're looking for is up and down, not the actual number. And it's not going to be off by that much. Well, and so, then, then you encounter. So I will say to you personally, I do not have a primary care physician. I have never had a primary care physician. Norman, it says, "Who is your primary care physician?" I write, "Mother Earth." <laughs> I have never had a mammogram. I have never had my cholesterol tested. I have never had a bone density test. And and these results are really designed just to make you concerned. I'm a lean, I mean, person that weighs under 110 pounds, and my cholesterol tends to be a little bit higher. I'm not going to take that out of my diet. I'm not going to stop drinking milk. I'm not going to stop eating butter. So, you know, they're just, it, I, I, I don't, the, the thing that bothers me is if they point these things out, what is their solution? What is, their, what is it they want you to do about their findings? And there's never any good answers. They want you to take a drug so that then they get a better number. And that's what they say, too. They don't say, I want you to take a drug so you'll be healthier. They say, I want you to take a drug so we can get this number down. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it becomes very obvious that we're not looking at health care. Or as one herbalist put it some years ago, it used to be prescription drugs, but now it's subscription drugs. Yeah. All right, drugs that they expect you to take for the rest of your life. Rest of your life. So you are choosing a different way of being, and it's it, the focus is not on what you're not doing. The focus is on what you are doing yeah. and the ways. And that- you are so taking healthier. care of yourself, your activity, your meditation, your food, your family, all of those things. That's really primary care. Well, thanks. I, I, I appreciate the support and the choice because it just, at this point, something that creates more anxiety isn't necessary. <laughs> No, I agree. Again, unless I have a chronic health condition, I have no Unless you have some specific problem, yes. Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Scientific tradition sets itself an impossible task. It says that health is defined by the absence of disease. But since we can never prove an absence, you can never be considered healthy by the scientific tradition. Okay. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy there. Exactly. So you're choosing health instead and health care. And let them do what they do best because they do trauma care and disaster care really well. Yeah, yeah. I have a husband that had a brain tumor and he had to be operated on and he needed radiation therapy and that was 35 years ago. So I really understand where heroic medicine is extremely valuable. Um, That's not heroic, that's scientific, but yes. Yes, sorry. Heroic medicine <laughs> but, would, know, have, would have they, told him that he needed to, you know, cleanse his bowels 
Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about the yeah, yeah. I'm 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 representing that tradition wrong. I'm sorry. Um, okay. But you know, acts in heroic ways. It's true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they do. That they um, justify but, but themselves. The studies. Trauma therapy or trauma treatment is real, and and that's you know phenomenal. Absolutely, and and that. really fabulous. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the practice of primary care and diagnostics, and it's just, it's awful. It, and I think that's just And you know what? The providers are. feel that way, too. Yes, they do. They do. They do. Nobody's yeah. happy with it. Yeah. Well, I think COVID might shake it up enough that we'll end up with something different. So Maybe. Monica Jean will have a different experience by the time she's having children <laughs> and going through these things. <laughs> It seems to have made it worse. I went to visit a friend in a nursing home, and I'll tell oh. you, I have had m- more um, loving, personal, intimate visits in prisons than they allowed me at this nursing home. I had to sit six feet away from her with a mask on, and her with a mask on, I wasn't allowed to touch her. Well, this is... I'm vaccinated, she's vaccinated. I mean, what? Come on. Well, yeah, no, then that's ridiculous. And I was interested totally. in what you said about outdoors. I, I work outdoors, and I've been trying to understand. Oh, well, I would have been outdoors, except that I couldn't be there during the daylight hours, and they don't allow them yeah. outside after night. Who knows what might happen if they go outside after dark? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They'll wander off. <laughs> Probably not, especially not because my friend has multiple sclerosis. She's wandering days oh. are over. Yeah, that changes yeah. life. Yeah, but I was very pleased to see that she has enough upper body strength to move her own wheelchair, so that's pretty good. That's good. That's independent still. She was diagnosed, we just counted, she was diagnosed 31 years ago, never taken a single drug, pretty much controlled it with cannabis. I mean, it's progressive, and she'll, you know, it'll take her, but she's doing well. I was really glad to see her after not seeing her for a whole year. Well, not seeing her for a year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, thank you for your time. Thanks, thanks so much for your call and the conversation. Yeah. Green blessings. Okay. Good night. Bye. Okay, we have two callers that have raised their hands with questions. Uh, the next caller is calling from the nine zero eight area code from the nine eight. You are live with Susan. Oh, thank you, Susan, for taking my call. It's Carol Raptus from New Jersey. I was going to say, this sounds like Carol Raftis. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. I just loved uh, so many <laughs> of your comments tonight, like Mother Earth is your primary care doctor. I love it. And the beautiful advice you gave the other woman about uh, lying bare skinned next to the earth. That was uh, deeply profound for me. So thank you. Um, so I have a couple little bitty questions and then one. So, um, and, I, I, and everyone, I love Abundantly Well. It's uh, Susan's 2020 book, and it's just filled with amazing things as usual. Um, but in there you say that you, you have the YouTube channel. Do you, do you still have that? Yes, I have a YouTube channel. Okay. And, and is it just Susan Weed? Susan Are Weed, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just go to okay. YouTube and ask for Susan Weed, and you'll find there's like 300 or some odd YouTubes. Oh, goodness. Oh, Lord, that's wonderful. Okay. Um, so uh, let's see. Mm. So for the 
herbs lately, um, a lot of them are, you know, like out of stock, like the red clover isn't that available. Um, do, do you still recommend Frontier? I know you did a lot of ordering from Frontier, but um, are, are there any I, other? I, I, I have always in my books recommended, a, you know, quite a few different places okay. to okay. get herb. And um, my daughter, Justine, who uh, shops at that place named after a big, strong woman, which actually represents a lot of small businesses, um, has been able to get really good quality organic infusion herb direct from Europe. Oh. We have Hungarian nettle that she got. I think it was like $12 a pound for organic nettle from Hungary. And she's a prime member, so she gets free shipping, right? Prime member, oh, uh, oh, the big... Of that big, strong yeah, woman. Big, yes, yes. Oh, wow, she got it on there. Okay, great. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the perfect, place everybody perfect. goes, and it doesn't need any more publicity from me. I hear you. I hear you. Um, okay, so that's great. Now, for the bones, I'm just reviewing. You, you said one of the items, you said, of course, the nourishing infusion, but you said the half a cup of yogurt, was it every day, night, uh, or just three times, four times? What I, what I, well, I'll tell you what I do. I okay. put a quart of yogurt in my refrigerator every week, and by the end of the week, it should be gone. Got it. Yeah, beautiful. Wonderful. Okay. So um, now, I, okay, it's kind of a long story, but mm, uh, in New York State, do they send the ticks away to a lab to be analyzed? In New York State, yes, you can have ticks sent away. If you save the tick, you can send it to a lab to be analyzed, yes. Do you recommend that? Do you think if you had a tick under your skin, you would do that? Well, first of all, the ticks that pass Lyme disease do not go under your skin. Oh, that's good to know. They don't? No, they're wood ticks. And wood ticks have a different kind of mouth part. Oh, they don't go under your skin. Not Mm. at all. The mouth part, if you look at it under magnification, looks like a kind of serrated scissors. And they crawl around on your body until they find the likely spot, and then they use their serrated scissors to cut off some skin. And they first inject a little anesthetic there so you don't feel it. Oh, right. I have taught myself to react with an itch when they inject that anesthetic. So I itch <laughs> as soon as they do oh. that. And I've pulled them off my body with a little piece of my skin clipped between their jaws. Oh. And, of course, once they take that skin off, then there's a little bit of blood, and they start to lick up that blood so they do not have to get themselves into you at all because they make a small little place where they can lick up the blood. They, again, mm. they, don't, they don't have a mouth part that allows them to actually suck. They actually lick it. Okay. And, I, I, you know, I can't tell you what's important for you to do. Um, I do three things. I spray my ankles with yarrow tincture. Oh, wow. I repeat as needed. Okay. I do a body check, 
every day to find any ticks because it takes more than 24 hours of attachment to pass Lyme disease. Okay. So if I'm looking once every 24 hours, no tick is going to be on my body more than 24 hours. Yes. Right. And I do it at night, so it's unlikely that it would have been on my body more than 12 hours, actually. Yeah, right, right. And I have asked a guardian to alert me to any tick that's on my body that I haven't noticed. Oh, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Alert. Excellent. Yeah, that's beautiful. And oh, yes. Just, just to tell a, a silly story on myself, I went for my pelvic floor therapy last week, and the pelvic floor therapist looks down and goes, oh, you have a tick in your crotch. Oh, gee, oh, my God. You know, not much embarrasses me, but I will have to admit, I was kind of embarrassed to be caught out with a tick in my crotch. <laughs> I, I, you know, and my feeble excuses, it was in a place I couldn't see. <laughs> But I decided that she must have been my guardian, and I'm sure she found it soon enough. I mean, it didn't even leave a red mark when she took it off, so. Oh. It might have even been from walking over the grass barefoot to get to the car to drive. Yeah, yeah. To the physical therapy, you know, might have just been settling down for its summertime nap. Ah. Yeah, but you wouldn't send that, you personally wouldn't send that tick away to the lab. No, nor do I know anybody who has. Okay. Okay. But right. maybe it's just because I live in the country and we're all like, oh, yeah, there's another tick. Kill it. Yeah, right. Right. So, um, you know, and we trundle that, somebody off to get antibiotics if, they, if they're showing signs of, you know, Lyme disease. It's just anything that makes us think they have Lyme disease, you know, pretty on it to make sure that people get treated. It's not like we're pretending that Lyme disease doesn't exist. We're just. Not not finding that looking at whether or not the tick has Lyme disease is going to tell us whether or not the person does. I see. Yeah, that makes perfect. That makes good sense. Common sense. Yeah. Yes. So um, I had the tick, and then my doctor put me on three weeks of antibiotics, and you had I, a tick. I, I, I had a tick under my skin. On my chest. If it was under your skin, that's a dog tick, which cannot carry Lyme disease. Well, okay. She put me on. Uh, she, she put, put me you on, on another one. She went to the drugstore and filled the prescription? <laughs> I know, Susan. I know, I know. Anyway. She, what, why, why, why are we pretending that you had no agency here? I know. I decided to take antibiotics for three weeks is what you want to say, yes? Okay, I decided, yes, to take antibiotics for three weeks. Okay. Now, in your book, uh, Abundantly Well, you have a whole section about drugs, and you say to do this and look, go to the pharmacist and look up the side effects, da-da-da-da-da. So that was wise in your book. And uh, the side effect of the antibiotic I took was lighthearted, lightheadedness and dizziness. So when I came down with my sleep problem in the night, I mm, fainted, passed out, did something. I fell into the flower pot, and I 
lacerated my lip and, you know, hit my head. And I came back and um, I had... You woke up in the middle of the night to go pee and you fainted because uh, as a side effect of the antibiotic and fell into a flower pot which broke and cut your lip. Yes. And and so then I, I, I went to the emergency care to get the lip stitched and then they... Okay, then... I listened to their advice, and I had a lot more tests. But anyway, I'm back to the lip now. It was stitched with disposable stitches, dissolvable, and now it's the top lip, and now there's a lump in there. This is about uh, a week later, and there's a lump in there. I mean, it's pulled together, but the, the lump is, I guess, it's scar, and I was just wondering if there's something I can do to in that scar and make it flat. Plantain oil, comfrey oil. Okay. Applied frequently. Okay. And and those are are um probably from uh like yeah they're purchasable you can get those absolutely very easy to get yes yeah. okay. So apply it frequently. And if it's an, you know, if they put reflex in it, then it's an ointment rather than an oil. And many people do because oils are spilly and ointments stay still. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. So thank you so much, Susan. Oh, I bless you. I, I just, I'm in constant awe of, of your wisdom. It gets better and better every. Thank you so much. Thanks for your questions. Great blessings. Good night. All right, and we have one caller with their hand raised calling from the 561 area code. From the 561, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for taking this call. I'm thinking it's the last call. And thank you for publishing abundantly well. It's, it's incredible. I've been, I've been really enjoying it and citing it and using it in my work as well. Um, my question is a big one, and... Maybe I'll call back next week. I'm 38, about to turn 39. Uh, I want to be a mother, and I'm going to, you know, do as much as I can via the wise woman tradition as well as work with the scientific tradition as well. Um, I want to go see a doctor, and, you know, there's a lot of testing that recommending, so I want to start fielding what's actually necessary versus what's kind of like the fast track to the high-tech, you know, get okay. pregnant. Can I ask IVF. you a few questions? Sure, of course. You have been trying to get pregnant for a while? No, I actually have, um, not intentionally, no. And I'm going to, you know, just have a lot of really good sex and do it, you know, the old-fashioned way. And I have a partner now. You he have a partner now. Kids. So what yeah, I suggest right kids. now is yeah. zero tests of any kind. Zero, yeah. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Not until you and your partner have tried for two years. Okay. Even if I'm 39 and he's, so he's not all in. in their 40s who have babies. Yeah, he's not all in because he has three kids and we met last year. So I, I'm kind of doing this because I don't want to be, you know, 41 and then in the same spot. That's why I'm like, let me... Let me consider, you know, the the high tech version, you know, the modern. The more you consider, the more likely you'll wind up there. 
Yeah, yeah. Your insurance won't cover it. Do you have that kind of money? I'm in Argentina at the moment where my family is originally from working abroad. I'm from the uh-huh. States, obviously, originally. Is it covered and in I Argentina? Kind of, in the United yeah. States, a single month of hormones to ripen yeah. your eggs, take them out, fertilize them, and put them back in you, a one-month cycle runs between twenty and $40,000. Yeah, it's not as expensive here. No, it's, I think because it's because women are so much less valued there. Yeah, also the the currency is devalued here, and the dollar is exactly. really strong. So, so yeah. again, um, the problem is not that you that your eggs aren't viable. Your eggs are viable, but they may not be good quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nothing that science has is going to improve the quality of your eggs. Right. As far as I can see, you're very much barking up the wrong tree and will get results that won't make you happy. Yeah, I hear you. Yep, I hear you. I also, you know, I, I don't have a partner that's all in. He has three kids. So it's not like this is his first time and he wants to support me 100%. He's open and, and, and ha- having a good time. And he's like, if you get pregnant, I'll, you know, I'll be so excited. But he's not, I'd say, like intentional about this either. And I think that there's, you know, just a lot more intentionality that I'm coming from, you know, a 38, almost 39-year-old place of like, let's, let's, get, let's get grooving, you know, next year, this year, every month when I'm ovulating. So... Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, well, my experience is that his attitude is more likely to result in pregnancy than yours. <laughs> I hear you. Okay. <laughs> so step back a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That feels pretty scary, too. I understand. Um, yeah. Very okay. and as far as, understand yeah. how scary that feels. Let me be clear. Our eggs are at their best between the ages of 15 and 25. Yeah. It's extremely easy to get pregnant. There's going to be a very low rate of birth defects. Between the ages of 25 and 35, our eggs are still good enough. It's not quite as easy to get pregnant, a little more miscarriage, a little more birth defects. After 35, your eggs are not good quality. It's not that you can't get pregnant. I know women over 35 who get pregnant three, four, seven, ten times before they have a baby. Yeah. They're getting pregnant easily. But their body decides that the genetic material is not worth investing in. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a huge physical investment to grow a baby, and your body doesn't want to do that in a model that's not going to work out. And especially yeah, if he's your age, then yeah. his contribution to the genetic thing there is not great either. Yeah. So that's why I say two years, get going. Get pregnant and miscarry. Get pregnant and miscarry. Get used to it. See yourself as a fertile woman, because you are a fertile woman. 
and understand that your body in its wisdom will ditch what is not good in us. Yeah. I wish Every single I, I one of these I've... women who had all these miscarriages that I'm talking about has a beautiful child. Yeah, I mean, I've never been pregnant, though, so, you know, I'd, I'd somewhere... Is that because you've solid. used birth control all the time, or you think that you couldn't get pregnant? Uh, I used birth control for a long time. Yeah, a, that's what I long, think, too. And then I wasn't sexually active, and then... Um, Okay. So give your, you know, give yourself permission to actually enjoy making a baby. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might be a labor of love, but let's put the emphasis on the love. Yeah. Right. The labor will come along in its time. <laughs> I love that. Okay. And in terms of food, life, like food, herbs, lifestyle, I mean, I eat everything. I, I drink my my infusions. I'm drinking Sounds really wonderful. Pretty, pretty much only metal here. Sarah Ellen to talk to us about okay, poison ivy. We've all been waiting to hear what she has to say. We are so excited to finally get to hear from Sarah Ellen, a student of life who cherishes the opportunity to live with awareness and experience the wholeness of being alive. Sarah Ellen lives at her home, Heart Song, in Barrington Hills, Illinois, with her husband, Jay, and their dogs, cats, goats, and chickens. She intends every day to know and remember her inherent connection with the earth and all the magic and beauty that surrounds her. And I would say that she definitely gets an A-plus on that intention, certainly from what we hear from her here at the show. Sarah Ellen has studied virtually with Asia Suler, personally with Linda Conroy, Pam Montgomery, and her lifelong teacher and kindred, Susan Weed. Sarah Ellen gives great regard and gratitude to her unconditionally loving teachers and co-creators, the plants, animals, elements, and the wellspring of her own blood and bones that hold the memories and knowings of all the wise women who came before her. What gifts can be received from a poisonous ally? During a 2015 three-season herbalism class at the Resiliency Institute in Naperville, Illinois, taught by herbalist Linda Conroy, Sarah Ellen found out. Asked to choose a plant ally, she asked a plant to choose her. It wasn't what she expected, but poison ivy appeared, and it was an invitation just too curious to pass up. <laughs> Thanks for being our guest tonight, Sarah Ellen, as well as being the moderator. Welcome to this part of the show. Thank you so much, Susan. And, um, yes, it is quite um, an amazing experience tonight to be the guest, and I I thank you very much for the opportunity to share uh, my learnings and experience with Poison Ivy with you and all of the listeners tonight. 
I'd like to ask your permission to start with the song, if that's okay. Uh, Poison Ivy. I was going to say, I'm just going to turn it over to you. And if at any point you want me to um, ask you anything, just say, ask me a question and I will. But I think that you have a lot to say and that you don't need me to do much of anything. Okay, well. Okay, so just go for it. Sing for us. Yeah. All right. And it's to a familiar tune, done with intention that way. So it's just a quick one. The earth loves me, this I know, for my heartbeat tells me so. To myself I do belong, when I'm weak and when I'm strong. Earth mother loves me, earth mother loves me, earth mother loves me. My heartbeat tells me so. Okay, so um, thank you, everyone, for allowing to get started that way and listening to the song. Uh, so, spirals move in all directions. There are doorways and bridges, there's ladders, there's pitfalls. How I embrace wholeness is now helps me determine which path in the spirals spin to my awareness. My free will directs me through the opening. Poison ivy is a mirror, reflecting what it looks like to grow, not by spiraling around something else for support, but what it is to have a strong and sturdy backbone. Integrates her wholeness, co-creating in the spiral of life. Integrating all of her energy and her connected with earth. She carries her roots with her. She does this top to bottom. Not to steal from the tree that she's growing and making her ascension, but to know and to form her own grasp. Integrating the energy, the resonance, and the knowing of the earth throughout her own being. She is a mirror. Her leaves of three coming together in red, the root, yellow, solar plexus, and green, my heart. Her white flowers maturing to dark, nourishing berries for birds hungry in the winter. Like us, her aim is to climb high towards the sun, reach the sky, and like us, to achieve this climb, we must root thoroughly in our dark, mysterious, lively Earth Mother. So I started this teaching and came to Poison Ivy in 2015. And this has been continuing now for six years, and I'm so grateful. She has been most generous with her teachings. She teaches me about myself by touching literally touching me. She risked her life and she risked her energy so that I could see a new way to myself. I moved through the easy opportunity of blaming her and making my judgment manifest by killing her, (laughs) by holding her in contempt for what I did not or for what I could not. Poison Ivy teaches me 
by co-creating with me. She helps me know the opportunities for me to bring my awareness to my responsibility with myself. With my choice to dance all aspects of the spiral and embrace the wholeness of my own life. She teaches me to be aware of my outer boundaries. She teaches me to be aware of my inner boundaries. She teaches me to be aware of my responsibility and my interactions with others, reminding me to be open in my awareness, be present to the moment, and not my conditioned behaviors. As a part of my medicine stick, she reminds me to be a guardian of my inner waters my life force, and she reminds me how to manifest my authentic intentions and unique gifts. So I wanted to share just that part as a bit of a background. Um, I I kind of had, I sat with her a lot this week and um, wanted to be prepared to either receive questions or to just make a general sharing. So um, since you've given me the permission to um, do a general sharing, I think it's important for me to um, share the medicine that she has offered me because people might ask, how is it that I could ally with a plant? The woman tradition is about nourishment, and this is a plant that I cannot even touch. I certainly um, have never chosen to ingest, nor did she ever suggest to me that was something that I needed to do in order to um, know her as my ally and be close with her. So um, as far as the medicines, um, I am obviously deeply rooted in the wise woman tradition, and I give great gratitude to Susan Weed for all the work that she does in reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. Um, And for me, the wise woman tradition, um, there's so much power in the first four steps, and that is where poison ivy operates. So... uh, for me, serenity medicine. Susan Lee talks about it in Healing Wise. This is the safest way to heal. Let nature do the work. Ask nothing from it. So poison ivy certainly helped me create and build awareness for those moments. Um, real and perceived violations of my boundaries um, that I present. And how do I respond to, to these situations? Um, this time just sitting there um, and being doing nothing other than respecting boundaries um, is through serenity medicine and it really opened the space um, to be a part of the co-creation and see what was already going on all around me before I decided how and when to jump in and contribute and be a part so um, Story medicine is another place where poison ivy really shines for me. Um, According to Jean Houston, the stories we tell ourselves create our lives and thus our health. So poison ivy is a wonder in this regard. Uh, When I chose her as my ally back in 2015, I did first think that I wanted a plant that I could work with any way I wanted, that I could have my way with that I could chop up, brew up, tincture up. You know, I wanted to have my way with this ally. And um, one of the first stories that Poison Ivy helped me see was that a lot of times 
I'm insistent on wanting to have my way before I have even taken the time to gather awareness and appreciate the wholeness that's already spiraling with life all around me. So in taking this time um, to really open into the wholeness of the experience. So actually chosen a plant that was nourishing. And as it said in my introduction, I asked for the plant to choose me because I was overthinking it. I was making it too difficult. And at first I just settled um, on a, a plant I love, chickweed. Um, but I do say settled because I had asked, I had said deep intention that the plant please choose me. So um, I allowed myself to receive her invitation. She showed up at right at the garden gate of our new house. And um, when she showed up there and on the back of my leg, that is when I knew her, <laughs> that she was there to be my ally. And there was no way I was going to deny her. So, um, you know, my first time after choosing her as my ally and going through that garden gate, she was right there with her first message. And it was, be aware. It was not beware. It wasn't, you should be afraid of me. You know, think twice before you come out here. No, it was an open invitation. It was be aware. And that lesson, that teaching, I don't like to call it a lesson, but that teaching, that showing, that opening that she presented right there has continued to open and blossom for the last six years. So, uh, Story medicine, how do I respond to my situations through my presence in the moment or through conditioned behaviors? Um, what type of story am I creating for myself? A story that is oblivious and naive, though maybe blissful, or um, a story that is authentic, a story that is real, a story that is willing to get dirty, a story that is curious and wants to know. And that's the story that I'm writing for myself. And she reminds me that I own my story. I own it as a part of this amazing creation that we share on our Mother Earth. So it's not that I get to write the story for everyone, but by being aware that I am a co-creative part of this amazing divine creation. I am a part and I get to own my story. And that ownership is in each moment. It's not because of what I did yesterday or what I could have done last year. It is the awareness of the moment. Be aware. So she really teaches us to know the choice, um, living dancing, a story that opens me to life, a story of love and acceptance and a choice to know and claim my power. Uh, she also really speaks to me in the forms of energy medicine that she offers. Um, again, in Healing Wise, such a remarkable book that I know most of you have, have read. Um, if you haven't, please get it in addition to Abundantly Well. It is amazing. And Susan says that energy medicine um, gives detail to the story and helps change it from the inside out. So Poison Ivy certainly did this. Um, she's amazing to sit with. She offered me visualization exercises, um, envisioning myself covering 
myself in her to learn ways of protecting me, teaching me to be a guardian of myself whenever I needed an ally. Uh, The energy medicine, another visualization that she asked me to participate in was working with the rash and acknowledging it as a co-creation. I had actually co-created this rash with her. It is, it was, um, I like to say was because Blessed be, she has, um, I have not invited her that deeply into my skin space in quite a while. Um, but the rash was, I became aware, actually a picture that my body manifested. See, she and my body co-created this picture. And what I saw were lines and they were running in straight lines, and they were representing to me my conditional, habitual run-in with myself, a result of me moving in straight lines and reaching the same conclusions over and over again. And then I also saw the big round blisters, and they were oozing out my insides, representing the pain that I was causing myself of spending my life running in circles. Circles resulting from my own choices, presenting again and again, oozing out my insides, showing me the pain of my life, running around in circles again and again. So, again, in this visualization exercise, she encouraged me. She likes to ask questions. Um, She's quite a shamanic ally, I believe, um, and that she answered my questions with questions. And uh, one, <laughs> yes, yes, she is um, quite amazing. And so in the energy exercise, she asked me, what would your life look like if you drew it in pictures? How many straight lines would be on the page? How many circles mm. would be on the page? How many spirals would be on the page? <laughs> what life? Yeah. And whoa, it was an amazing exercise, seeing that paper and actually my hand to the paper. When I would draw the circle, it wasn't just one circle. The circle, it was like around and around and around and around and around. And the spirals were just so naturally free and opening. And it was an amazing exercise to be with and know that, yeah, I this is me. I'm, I'm, I get to make these choices. I get to practice awareness. And it's my life to make these choices, circles or spirals. So um, another form of medicine, and this is one that, you know, maybe some people would say it's a reach, but for me, it's really not. So lifestyle medicine nourishment, that interesting piece of the question, how does she provide nourishment? Um, another amazing statement that Susan makes in Healing Wise is we nourish ourselves with all our senses. So for me, lifestyle medicine, she is able to get into my other senses in profound ways. I mean, just my immune system, for example. My immune system is present in almost every cell of my body. The immune cells of my body are born in my bones. They mature in my thymus. 
Um, they circulate through my blood of my entire being. They line every mucosal epithelial coating of my body. She really comes in deep, and she can work with me, and I can open my senses to her in a very profound way. Um, so she also demonstrates for me integration, and for me, integration is nourishment. Um, not choosing what to cut out and which parts don't work, but really opening to the wholeness. And when I said choose an ally, I knew it should be a nourishing place. I knew that I should be able to work with it so that it could nourish me from the inside out. And what I discovered in that knowing was a plant that can really help, help me awareness to myself, to know my beginning, to know the power I have in creating my story. And um, she really is a plant that's here for us humans to nourish our constant opening and the dance of the ever-expanding spiral. Um, there's so much more I could share. Something that she really wants me to share, I believe. Um, you know, Susan, you're such a profound teacher in my life, and um, I often work with you on a daily basis, too, even though you're not here, and nightly basis sometimes, too, um, in the dream time. And, um, yes, yes. Yes. Indeed. And so I have heard you speak about um, the practice of some indigenous cultures um, leaving gifts in nature. And it's not something I was familiar with prior to coming into it in, in the herbal space and then hearing you, you speak to it. And there are certain things you speak to that really um, just stay open with me. And, and I have curiosity about them still. And so that is a question I asked her. And she actually offered me such an amazing answer. And it, that answer, by my receiving it and employing it, which is something our relationship has certainly done over the last six years, it went from just awareness to integrating into action and living with my whole heart. And so in that answer that she gave me, she told me, teacher is right. Um, you're an American woman and you are used to pretty much having what you want. And, um, you know, our culture in America is very much like that. And um, it's not that I know of, at least not as any of the ancestors that I know their ways personally, it was not a practice. So when I asked her, she said, what is a practice and what your ancestors and what you most especially are familiar with is taking. So she said, how about instead of leaving something, you take something and take things that don't belong. So when I go now in nature, the first thing I do is I look for what doesn't belong. I let the trash lead me around. And it's such a beautiful co-creation and it's just an amazing way that I ended up seeing how to open to the spiral in a co-creative way, not only being aware of her and respecting her boundaries, but opening further. And um, when I go now, and instead of going with a plant on my mind, I'm going to go find so-and-so. I'm on the hunt for so-and-so. This is what I'm doing today. I have had the most amazing experiences. And the walks and the adventures that I have been set out on by following things that I can take and leave the space more in its natural state of being. Um, 
just the, it is a profound way to interact and give reverence to nature. If a part of your known cultural um, indigenous beliefs um, don't include leaving a gift, I and Poison Ivy would encourage you to take something instead that doesn't belong and then really open to the journey that that takes you on each and every time that you do that. Um, so yeah, that is definitely something I wanted to share. And then we, we have a few minutes left and, and please, Susan, um, go ahead. Is there anything that I can, we can talk about more or something you want to hear about more or. Well, I did want to mention that I have met people who do eat poison ivy and they eat the youngest leaves if at all possible, before they've unfurled, they come up and they're kind of tight. And so one three-part leaflet dipped into honey and swallowed hollow. And that repeated daily for seven to ten days. And the people who do this claim that they can then go and sit in poison ivy and not get a rash. Mm. I have heard that as well. Yes. Not done it. Um but I have heard that as well. And I certainly don't know of anyone who has had a poison ivy rash in their digestive system from eating it, but I have met people who have gotten a poison ivy rash in their respiratory system from burning it. Oh, yeah. And then inhaling the smoke. And that, Uh yeah, that's bad. That's a very bad place. But because those same kind of, you know, like uh, little lymphatic bubbles. But now it's in your respiratory system. Not a good place to have it at all. Right. I want to remind people that the part of the poison ivy that causes that rash is an oil called urushiol. And urushiol is present in all parts of the poison ivy, including the dead vine. And some of the worst poison ivy rashes I've seen are people who have picked up logs that had poison ivy vines on them and put them into a fire. Mm. And they're, you know, it's like a fireplace, and so their hands have touched the poison ivy, and then their hands get really hot. And it can be very bad poison ivy oil. The urushiol can stay active and able to give you a rash for up to 30 years on shoes and clothing. Yeah, it can so be washed you know, off, but it's best not to wash it with hot water, right? If you've been exposed yeah. to urushiol, to the oil from poison ivy, which is what gives you the rash, wash it off with cold water. It takes between 20 and 24 hours for that oil to get under your skin, as it were, and cause a rash. So washing off is very effective to help prevent poison ivy rash. Mm, yes, I've, I've helped myself several times um, with that advice. Absolutely. A couple yeah. of quick facts I'll mention. Um, she's in the Anna Cardiaceae family. I find this very fascinating because I did not look that up until after my initial time with her. And that actually means um, heart on the outside or back to the heart. So other plants that are in that family, um, sumac, mango, cashew, poison oak, poison sumac. Um, another quick 
fact that I found out after because I didn't look up information during, and it was just such a really amazing fact to find out right at the end, and that is poison in German is actually gift. Das Gift is how you say poison in German. So there is quite a relationship to opening to the wholeness. What is your poison can be your ally. Oh, that is so beautiful. Love it. (laughs) The gift, the gift of poison ivy. And one of my uh, native teachers told me that poison ivy was an earth healing plant and that it was um, not very well represented before white people came with metal. Mm. And the poison ivy specifically targets areas of the earth that have experienced um, cutting by metal, like, you know, saws and scythes and right shovels. And they, remember, the Native people in North America, the only metals that they used were gold and silver, right? And they grew all the way down into South America. They didn't do iron or brass. They didn't know hard metals. Both silver and gold are very soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I have found that to be pretty true. That when I just go right out into the woods, there's not poison ivy growing there. But if I'm in the woods and there is poison ivy growing, then I can usually, if I look around, see where it wasn't woods 100 years ago. It was used, and the poison ivy got started back then. It just lingered. Yeah, and I personally have been saved from pretty serious injury by being aware of her. I was spared from stepping on an old rusty barbed wire fence that she was growing around. So absolutely, oh, I hear you. Oh, how wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I do think we've run out of time. Um, and it's been gonna so say, lovely and I think we need to say good night. Sarah Ellen, such a delight. Thank you so much for telling us about Poison Ivy and your relationship with Poison Ivy, too. Thank you for helping me to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And thank you, everybody who calls in and everybody who's listening. Green blessings and good night. Good night, green blessings. Thank you, everyone. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.